welcome to the Nourished and Free podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Yates, a registered dietitian, and this is where we talk all things intuitive eating, body image, and really just how to create a healthy relationship with food. For today's episode, I'm going to go completely out of my comfort zone and tell you guys my story, my story of disordered eating, body dysmorphia, and really how I got to where I am today and why I do what I do. I think that story is incredibly powerful. Um, I know a lot of times in my journey through disordered eating and everything, just listening to other people was helpful for me because I'm kind of a dissociator. I like to block things out and not process. And so hearing other people's stories was really helpful for me in processing my own story so that I could heal and take strides. As a disclaimer, I will be talking about eating disorders, disordered eating habits. If you find that triggering, if you find that to be a sensitive um, content topic for you, then maybe this isn't the best episode for you but I do hope that you'll find value in this. Let's get started. I'm already squirming in my seat. (laughs) As I said in the beginning of this, This is uncomfortable for me. This is totally out of my comfort zone. I'm not opposed to telling my story if people ask directly. You know, I really do value being an open book for people. And I think it's important, especially with my clients, that they know that I know exactly where they're coming from and I know what they're going through. I think that that can be really helpful in our work together. But I don't like talking about my problems, <laughs> my weaknesses. Uh, and I think that's probably true of most of us. So th- another reason this is really uncomfortable for me in particular is um, kind of explained by three themes that you're going to see throughout my story, which is number one, denial. Uh, secondly is loneliness. And third is pride. So throughout adolescence, teenagers, even college years, those three things really wound up together to make an interesting go about of me trying to recover from um, what I was going through. And so, yeah, this is uncomfortable for me because that still lingers. There's still that bit of, you know, I don't want to show my weakness. I'm prideful in that sense. Um, there's even tendency to deny where I was and even today, but I know that's not helpful. And I know that that's not a sign of strength at all. And that really doesn't do anything for anybody. So here I am, I'm going to bear my soul to you guys. Um, I'm also trying something new. I'm recording this in my closet today and I think the audio sounds a lot better. (laughs) So let me know if you notice that this sounds better and if you like it, because I'm going to keep doing it. If you do, (laughs) you can send me an email or send me a message on Instagram. Um, And for those of you who are following me on Instagram, I changed my Instagram handle to reflect my business. So it's actually at Yates Nutrition now. So you can find me at Yates Nutrition. Send me a message. Let me know what you think of this audio. 
And hopefully you'll connect with my story in some way and you can let me know what you think of that as well. So honestly, my story does start kind of from the beginning and I don't want to ramble. So I'll be sure that if I do, I cut it out. (laughs) But um, this kind of does start. I've got four sections of my life that all kind of um, had different looks to them or different characteristics to them that I want to go through. And so the first one is really just adolescence. And this is where the, if you work in eating disorders, um, you're familiar with the predisposing or precipitating factors that may contribute to somebody developing an eating disorder. And so really what that means for anybody who doesn't know is that those who uh, develop an eating disorder, they don't just like one day wake up and it's there. There's a lot of factors that come into play and that kind of sprinkle into that person's life and build up with precipitation to the development of the disorder. A lot of times there's usually the the predisposing factors, all these little things that make them more likely to develop the eating disorder. And then there may be trauma, there may be some sort of event or change, or even just puberty, adolescence is enough of a change that that eating disorder is then um, kind of in full motion or, or it sets it into full motion. But some people have these predisposing factors and never develop an eating disorder. So just because you might have the same predisposing factors that I did doesn't mean that you're going to develop an eating disorder. I just happen to be at a high risk for it. And I'll explain more about why that was. And my environment, my... Um, my interests and my personality just kind of almost set me up for failure <laughs> in a sense and and led me to to the eating disorder that I experienced. So with my adolescence, um, first of all, anybody that's listening to this that um, was a part of my adolescence, including family and friendships, I don't want you to hear at any point do I want you to hear that my suffering or my problems or my difficulties is anybody's fault. It's not a hundred percent not. And I know my mom listens to this podcast and I know the shame cycle she's going to go into and mom, I'm going to stop you right now. None of this is your fault. It's not dad's fault. It's nobody's fault. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say that some of the predisposing factors that I had as a child were the environments that I was in the family that I had and the friendships that I had. Does that mean that those people are at fault? No, it's just a factor. Okay. So let me explain a little bit more. My family, I love them to death. My family does have a little bit of an undercurrent of weight stigmatization. (laughs) Um, And I don't blame them because I honestly think that people don't know better that live in this society. We're trained to think that larger bodies are lazy and unhealthy. That's just like wired into us, right? So I don't blame my family for feeling that way and thinking that way. What happened though, was that as a child, I heard a lot of messages of 
um, oh, that person needs to stop eating cheeseburgers or that person needs to have a piece of lettuce every now and then or that person shouldn't be at this restaurant or needs to go on a treadmill, just things like that. And while they can seem harmless to the person saying them, they're not, right? They're they're harmful for the person that it's about. And they might not hear it, but it is harmful if they were to hear it. And then also just for children, it is uh, kind of setting the example that you should think that way about those people. And the truth is that larger people are not automatically unhealthy, right? So that's just an incorrect way to train children to think. And at least in my personal opinion, people can disagree with me and that's completely fine. But I am passionate about what I'm passionate about. So (laughs) Um, that was how I was trained to think. And so there was kind of this um, message being given to me of, If you become a larger bodied person, you are unhealthy, you are lazy, you've let yourself go. So that was interesting for me because as a kid, I actually really did not enjoy doing any athletic activities. I was the, I was the kid, you guys, that would sit in our library where we had our computer. We had a little computer room and I would play Sims all day long. I would play Roller Coaster Tycoon. I was on the computer. I was playing video games. Okay. My, uh, I was the youngest of three. I have two older brothers, four years older than me, and then nine years older than me. And so I was kind of lonely because first of all, gender difference, right? We don't have the same interests really. Second of all, they're so much older than me that we're just not doing the same things. Right. And so what they did enjoy was playing video games. Both of my brothers enjoyed playing video games. And so I think maybe subconsciously I might've been trying to connect with them through video games, but also that's just kind of like what we did in our house was play with on the computer or I had a Wii, (laughs) Nintendo 64, all the things. So I was kind of a dork. I was a little bit of a nerd, a little, a bit of a shut in. And so I was not athletically, uh, not necessarily inclined because I am athletic, I think, but just interested. I wasn't interested in sports. I didn't want to do them. And so I kind of was lazy, to be honest. And so I started to have this insecurity of, oh my gosh, I'm lazy. And that's like not accepted in my family. Um, That was a fear of mine was that I would get fat and be unaccepted. And not just by my family, by everybody, right? Because that's just, I think it's getting better now somewhat. But when I was a kid, there was no body positivity, right? Or weight acceptance, weight neutrality. If you were overweight, quote unquote, or or larger than somebody, there was just like kind of immediate judgment and um, unacceptance. So I was afraid of that. And eventually I did get into sports, um, enjoyed those. Uh, when I was 12, 11 and 12, um, I started dance actually. And so that was interesting because I was a very shy kid. No surprise if I was a shut in, (laughs) but I was a shy kid. And so I performing like the thought of doing things with my body in front of other people was a nightmare. I didn't want to do it. And so I had actually tried a, a ballet class when I was, when I was younger, I think, I don't know, I'd have to ask my mom, but I was probably like seven or eight, tried a ballet class, hated it. 
was so embarrassed just by existing, just by being in that room. I was embarrassed. That's how shy I was. <laughs> so I didn't go back until 11 or 12. That's when I started. And I really fell in love with it. I started with a little ballet class that was for homeschoolers. And then within a year, I was doing competition. And so that was, I kind of dove right in. And if you can imagine when you were, if you can think back to when you were 12 years old, just think about how you felt your, about your body then. It wasn't good, right? Man, woman, whatever you are, at 12 years old, there is no way <laughs> that you were comfortable in your body. So to put a 12-year-old into dance class for somewhat the first time and have them wear the leotards and the tights and everything, I was so self-conscious. And I realize now that I had body dysmorphia from a very young age. I, I can't remember a time when I didn't have body dysmorphia. Um, because what I saw in the mirrors at dance was this hugely round, <laughs> um, little girl that needed to lose weight and didn't look like the other girls. And so when I look at pictures now, I actually did look like the other girls, <laughs> right? And so it's very interesting from how I remember things through my own lens and my own perspective, Versus now seeing from a fresh perspective in reality photos, I look completely different than I thought I did. So very interesting. Um, but being in the dance world, this kind of leads me into like those teenage years. Um, I, yeah, was pretty self-conscious of my body with that body dysmorphia in there. Um, and then when you're in that dance world, I mean, the aesthetic and the goals and the desires are always to be that prima ballerina tiny individual that's just like this unspoken goal of everybody and that's not even necessary in order to be a good dancer right like you can be a fabulous dancer no matter what your body looks like but of course when you think of a dancer your automatic representation in your brain is going to be a tiny woman on point shoes, right? So that was always my goal was I wanted to, uh, I wanted to look like that. I wanted to look like a dancer. I wanted people to be able to just look at me and know she was a dancer. That's when I would say that the way that I ate started to change. Um, and then another predisposing factor for me in this development of my eating disorder was also just my perfectionistic personality. So I come from a family of achievers, maybe even overachievers. Okay. <laughs> we've got a doctor in the family. We've got a CEO. We've got a financial genius. And then my mom was a nurse. Like we've just got a family full of success. And so that's kind of in my DNA is wanting to be successful, wanting to rise, wanting to be perfect in a sense. So my perfectionistic personality, you know, when I put that into the dance world, it applied to how I wanted my body to look that naturally bled into the way that I ate. Another interesting thing about this time period was this is when I was getting interested in boys and, you know, puberty, <laughs> hormones, all that fun stuff. So I wanted to be noticed. 
as I kind of mentioned, I had a little bit of a lonely childhood and my dad traveled a lot and my brothers didn't really think I was that interesting. <laughs> so I, I really loved attention, which is funny because I was shy. It was this weird, like, I think what I really wanted was respect. I really wanted people's respect, but, um, yeah, put that in combination with puberty and boys. I just loved having attention from boys. And so my friend group, my absolute best friends in the world, I don't know how this happened, but <laughs> I was the only one that was short and brunette. And it's the silliest thing that that made me so self-conscious. Well, it didn't make me self-conscious. It just fueled my insecurities. As a junior high and high schooler, I felt like the ugly duckling. As I got older throughout high school, um, I, I was more confident in myself. But that was also because I was being more strict about my eating and I felt like my weight was in a better place and I, I looked how I wanted to. So it wasn't true confidence. It was conditional confidence. Kind of going back to those three themes that I mentioned, I was in denial about this. I really did feel like I had confidence and that I, you know, I did have a good group of friends. So I wasn't necessarily lonely anymore, but I wasn't being honest with myself that I had these insecurities. And so I certainly wasn't talking about them. And so that's kind of where the loneliness comes in. And the pride is that, first of all, I just denied that those were even things I was struggling with. So therefore I was lonely and I was prideful about my struggles. Kind of to recap these predisposing factors very quickly, I've got a personality of an achiever and of a perfectionist. I was in an environment surrounded by mirrors and being focused on the body, aka I was a dancer. And I came from a family where, um, you know, there was a high value put on weight. And then I also had these friendships that I felt like I was the odd one out. At this point, uh, let's say that I'm about 17 now. Um, I'm dancing. I, you know, value a certain body size, body weight, and I'm watching my diet enough that I feel like it's healthy, but I'm still enjoying foods with my friends at the same time, getting pizza with them, whatever. Then I had a best friend, one of the tall, skinny blondes. <laughs> uh, her name was Katie and she passed away. And that was really unexpected. And it was the first time that I'd ever been faced with grief like that. And it was traumatizing for a 17-year-old. So that trauma combined with all my predisposing factors was my push-off point right into the eating disorder. So I still grieve Katie to this day. It's been almost 10 years. And my daughter's middle name is named after her. Uh, it's still a season of my life that I guess I'm still processing, to be completely honest. Um, however, I am learning how it affected my relationship with food. And so from that point going forward, that's when I started to really develop anorexia. Do you 
wish you could stop thinking about food 24-7. Does it feel like your life is passing you by as you spend all your time focusing on the next diet, the next weight loss scheme, or the latest health trend? I developed my 16-week mastermind program specifically for the woman who's ready to reclaim her time, energy, and money that was all wasted as she pursued dead ends that were sold to her by diet culture. In this program, you will be with a group of like-minded women receiving coaching from me on a daily basis so that you can make memories instead of letting them pass you by. For more info and to apply, visit yatesnutrition.com slash mastermind. being very restrictive. Uh, I used my fitness pal to track my calories. I would scan all the barcodes on the food in the house or the food in the grocery store. If we were going to a restaurant, I would look up the food ahead of time, figure out what I could eat and how much. I was restricting to about 1200 calories a day at first. And then because of my personality. I just loved when I could overachieve and go even below that. So that was always like the goal that I had set on my app, but really my goal was under a thousand calories. And so there were days I was probably having 700, 800 calories and keep in mind, I was still dancing at this time. I was going to the gym. Once I was 16, I had a gym membership. So, um, I would go to the gym most of the days of the week. I would dance three, four, or five days a week. So I was severely under eating for my needs. And of course, I would lose some weight because of that. I have a really small frame. I'm only about five, five one. So a hundred pounds is actually like, <laughs> which is just so stupid, but it's the ideal body weight <laughs> of a woman my size and with a small frame. And so I would look that up and I would say, oh, that's what I need to be. So I would shoot to be 100 pounds. And um, I don't remember the lowest that I got to. And I don't know that that's even helpful information for me or anybody. But the point is that it was unhealthy for me. I don't care what an ideal body weight chart says. My genetics do not desire that. And so I was malnourished. I was tired, irritable. And, um, I, my quality of life was greatly affected because on the one hand, I was thrilled that I wasn't overweight or large or whatever, but at the same time I was compromising the little things in life, like enjoying cake on my birthday, right. Or, um, spontaneous pasta nights with family, like, I don't know, just things like that. I was always doing like the low calorie option which just isn't fun, right? (laughs) It's not fun. I would develop these recipes that were the quote unquote healthy version and they were disgusting. They weren't good. Some of them were okay, but um, that was just my attempt to have more control over what was going in my body. And so of course, as we all know, I had a love for nutrition and 
I would honestly say the love for nutrition came from a disordered place. And this is actually really common for dietitians. There's been studies on this that dietitians, I don't have the exact numbers, but dietitians are at a higher risk of having an eating disorder and of um, showing signs of disordered eating. And so it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation, just speaking from my own personal experience, because for me, the eating disorder is what led me to want to be a dietitian because I was so interested in nutrition, right? (laughs) I wanted to know what the perfect diet was. I wanted to have full control and I wanted to be the expert. So that led me into the field. But I know that in other cases, somebody might go into the field and depending on the education they get, depending on the professors and the environment, that might be the final push over the edge into an eating disorder. So It's a little bit, you know, how can we know for sure why dietitians are at a higher risk? I personally think it's because the disordered uh, motivation is what leads us to the field because that was the case for me. So um, I went to school to be a dietitian. I was so excited to be the expert in this. And like I said, to know what the perfect diet was. And this is an important part of my story because it was my disguise, I guess, for denial. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but it was my excuse for everything that I was doing. If I wasn't eating enough, if people were commenting or noticing that I lost weight or something, first of all, I don't think people said very much because I really didn't get a lot of comments of concern because I never was like a skeleton. Again, I have a small frame So losing weight didn't necessarily look um, like your classic textbook malnourished person, but I still, like I said, was unhealthy, unhealthily low for me. Um, So I didn't get a lot of comments. And I think that part of that was also from people just assuming that I had it all together because I loved nutrition. I loved eating healthy and I was going to school for it. And then if somebody did make a comment, that was my excuse. Well, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to school for this, or I'm going to go to school for this. Um, You don't need to worry about me. So it was a really great alibi. At this point, going into school, I already knew that I wanted to work with eating disorders, not because I thought that I had one, but I was just naturally drawn towards that field. If you guys have studied the field of positive psychology, there's this concept called um, flow state, which is where you're essentially really locked in and interested in something and time just disappears, right? Time is not, you lose track of time. Eating disorders for me was where I would get into my flow state. It was just something that was so intriguing to me and I wanted more and I wanted to be a professional in that field. And so from, I was very fortunate going into college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I don't think that most people can say that. I really was fortunate. I knew I wanted to be a dietitian that worked with eating disorders. So college starts and I take an elective class on eating disorders. And let me tell you, that was like such a godsend because in that class, I, of course, had to read about eating disorders and and how they're diagnosed, what they look like, what they manifest as. And I was reading, I remember one day distinctly reading and thinking, that sounds like me. And I just at that point had no 
category or concept that how I was eating was disordered. That's a big reason why I'm such a big advocate for education of eating disorders, what it looks like, what they can mean, because if you don't know, then you're not, you need, then you don't know, <laughs> right? If you don't know, then you're not going to get better. And at that point, I didn't know. I thought that I was fine. I actually had myself up on a pride rock of, I am so controlled. I have such a good diet. I'm, you know, a good example, perfect picture of health, whatever. And so that was, I think that was the Lord kind of humbling me a little bit, uh, which he did a lot. (laughs) Um, But humbling me in the sense of this isn't right. This isn't normal. It's actually a disorder. And so that was huge for me. But even reading and being in that class, I still would kind of justify behaviors and make sense of them. And still, there was still some denial going on, but I was starting to come down a little bit. Another thing that was important about my college years for my recovery was that I had this incredible group of friends. My, um, my cohort for my dietetics class Um, There was about 19 or 20 of us, and we knew each other for the majority of my college years and and got really close. And I absolutely love all those guys to death. Still to this day, anybody that's listening to this that I knew because of that program, I miss you. And then I had some other friends as well that weren't necessarily part of that group that were really special to me. And those friendships were so freeing because especially with the dietetic students, they didn't have these disordered habits with food that I did. And so seeing that example, like, wow, they actually, they care about health and nutrition just as much as I do, but they don't restrict like Mexican food (laughs) or margaritas or, or fun foods, right? They enjoy them. And they really enjoy them. And I want to enjoy them too. And so that was a really good example for me to see and to be surrounded by. And again, that environment was so important for me. My education, the environment I was in was a really good environment for facilitating recovery for me. Um, So much so that I actually never reached out for help. I never got treatment. And I don't recommend that you don't get treatment. But for some reason, and I do think it was like 100% just a God thing. That was a healing experience for me was going through that program in that environment and just the education and everything that I got. It all really uh, played a factor in me getting better. And my before I knew it, my body dysmorphia was going away and um, yeah, I was feeling a lot better. Another way that I was really humbled in these years was that I did have a period, I believe it was my freshman year, where I gained 15 to 20 pounds, but it was not a freshman 15 type of situation. I was not drinking myself to death every weekend or whatever. Like my diet was actually the same as before I went to college. And so I was so frustrated because I felt like, what is wrong? I'm not doing anything different, but I've gained all this weight. And this is when I still had a very high value on my body weight and how that reflected me and my eating habits and how healthy I was that I just felt like a failure and like totally and completely confused and frustrated. So 
I went to the doctors uh, over one of my breaks and had a PCOS diagnosis. PCOS, of course, being polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's a very common syndrome in women that affects our hormones. And um, that was the cause of my weight gain. I had low thyroid. I had just all these things going on. And so that was humbling for me because it was one of those things where no matter how I controlled my diet, it didn't matter. I was not in charge of what my body looked like. So that was really good. I mean, it was a hard experience, but it was a good experience for me to go through. Another thing that helped was just the relationship that I was in. My now husband, we actually dated the whole time I was in college. We had a little hiatus, but (laughs) most of the time I was dating him and he's such an incredible man. He loves me for who I am and has never, ever, ever made me feel like I have to weigh something specific in order to be accepted or attractive to him. And that was really freeing for me because during that weight gain period, I was so self-conscious and it just, it literally made no difference to him. He actually told me he liked it. (laughs) So that was really freeing for me too, was just to be so unconditionally loved and accepted and found to be attractive. You know, some of the guys that I had quasi dated or talked to in the past, um, maybe just didn't necessarily make me feel that way. And so to be with this man that loves me no matter how I look was very freeing. And and just hearing like, I think you're absolutely beautiful on my worst body image days. That's helpful. It's not the cure-all, but it helped. So ladies, if you're in a relationship or even engage to somebody who does not unconditionally love you, no matter what your body looks like, or makes degrading comments about your weight, or has an expectation for you on how your body should look, please leave them. (laughs) Obviously, that's a little bit of a loaded statement, but seriously, I mean, that's no way to live. So I'm very grateful to my husband for the kindness and, and love that he showed me and still shows me to this day. Um, so I graduated college and still wanted to work with eating disorders. Now I had this different spin on it though. It was like, I know what it's like, so I want to help them even more. (laughs) And I want to be there because I know the other side of it. And I know there's so much freedom behind recovery and intuitive eating and just enjoying life without trying to control every single calorie, carbohydrate, whatever. And so it made me just fall in love with the field even more because I have so much compassion for those who have gone through it. I always tell my clients, there's truly nothing they can say that will surprise me because I've either heard it before in my work or I've done it before. Going through anorexia, I did all of the restricting. I used exercise abusively. I purged to get rid of calories. Like I've done everything. And so I get it. And I've also come on the other side, which is why I know that others can too. I even did it on my own, which is bizarre. Like I said, I don't recommend that. I think it was a complete and total God thing. This is a field I feel very called to. And I believe it's the Lord's mission to work through me in this field. But I don't think without him that I would be where I am today. So I always do recommend that, um, you know, don't be like I was (laughs) basically don't wait until something is bad enough. Luckily I never ended up in the hospital or anything. And it probably would have taken that for me to reach out for help. 
don't be that way. If you are struggling at all, I don't want you to feel like you're lonely or that you're the only one or that you can't reach out for help or that it's not bad enough. Humble yourself, come down from the pride rock and talk to somebody, right? And if you're in denial, I hope that this is helping to bring you out of denial. Okay. And I'm saying all of this because I get it and because I was that person. So really I'm just talking to my past self. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I will say recovery has been such a beautiful, beautiful thing. My quality of life, man, I mean, recovery is not linear, right? It's up and down, it's up and down. And so there's always going to be new challenges that you have to work through. And with getting pregnant, you know, pregnancy, obviously your body changes and it's different postpartum as well. And I will say that pregnancy was such a beautiful and I'm pregnant again. So it's not so beautiful now because I'm, you know, chasing a toddler around. But (laughs) the first time around, I really felt like it was a beautiful process that I could just appreciate and admire rather than feeling like self-conscious or I know some women when they're pregnant, they feel like they um, can't listen to their cravings or whatever. Uh, Or they go the other way, they swing the opposite way and are like, oh, now I can just go crazy and have all the you know, all the food all the time. And, and then they eat more than their body really was requesting just because there's kind of this reckless abandon now for being pregnant. I didn't struggle with either of those things. I really just felt like I could lean into the process and could trust the intuition that my body was giving me when I had the hunger signals and fullness cues and all of that. And I had a perfectly healthy baby, perfectly healthy pregnancy, praise God. And I think that our bodies are so intelligently designed. They have so many, um, mechanisms in place. Like we don't give them enough credit. (laughs) And pregnancy was one of those things where I was really in awe of that the whole time of like, wow, I'm so glad I've recovered because I can enjoy this process and I can really lean into it too. Postpartum as well with, um, I was nursing. And so, you know, any, mamas out there who have nursed know that, man, the, the hunger is worse when you're nursing than it is when you're pregnant because you are using so many calories to produce that milk for the little babe that I was hungry all the time. And I just trusted it and went with it. And again, my weight didn't spiral out of control. My baby was perfectly healthy, always fed, always nourished, just trusted it instead of feeling like, I need to restrict so that I lose the baby weight, right? That was never my mindset. And I'm so grateful for that. This has been a little bit of a longer episode. I kind of expected that because yeah, I started from the beginning of my life (laughs) and it's, I hope that this has been helpful for somebody out there. Yeah. Just in any way, shape or form, if you're struggling with disordered eating or body dysmorphia, or just have an unhealthy relationship with food, I'm going to say this again. Don't wait until it's bad enough. Go ahead and get the help. Go ahead and reach out and talk to somebody. You can talk to me. I would love for you to reach out to me and just let me know if you identified with any of this um, or if you just need to get something off your chest or just anything. Like I am here for that. You're always welcome to send me an email. Michelle at eightsnutrition.com is my email address. Send me all your thoughts, comments, and questions. Seriously, I really want to know. I really want to hear them. You can also send me a message on Instagram. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And if my story stuck out to you in any way, my Instagram handle, once again, is at Yates Nutrition. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate you so much. And I would love it if you would show your appreciation as well by leaving me a review. If you have a specific topic that you'd like me to cover in the future or a question that I can answer in a future episode, go ahead and send me an email at michelle at yatesnutrition.com with your request, and I'll be sure to add it to my lineup. And if you're interested in working with me in any capacity, I would absolutely love to work with you. Take a peek at my website, yatesnutrition.com and poke around, see what I offer. You can also fill out a request form through that website and I will get back to you within 24 hours about next steps based on what I think is the best fit for you. 